So are you a growing person? Are you a person who is uh, growing in, in all kinds of different ways, in their, in their understanding, in their relationships, in, in different aspects of their life, in their experiences? Or are you a person who kind of feels like you've arrived or maybe even plateaued? You know, I usually don't uh, spend a lot of time paying attention to the little memes that come across Facebook, but there was actually one that came across that really captured my attention. So I actually clicked on it. Someone had posted it, and it led me to an article from something called Business Insider. I don't even know what that is. But it talked about the difference between successful and unsuccessful people. And it seems to me that the heart of this article was that successful people are people who have a mentality, a desire, a perspective of being a growing person. And unsuccessful people are people who are just trying to arrive, reach some place where they plateaued. It says this, it said, a successful person embraces change, unsuccessful people fear it. Successful people talk about ideas, unsuccessful people talk about other people. Successful people accept responsibility for their failures, Unsuccessful people blame others. Successful people give others the credit for their victories. Unsuccessful people take all the credit for themselves. Successful people want others to succeed. Unsuccessful people secretly hope that others will fail. Successful people will continue to learn. Unsuccessful people fly by the seat of their pants. Successful people ask how they can help others. Unsuccessful people ask how they can help themselves. Successful people take a chance and ask, for, ask for what they want. Unsuccessful people are afraid of failure and keep to themselves. Successful people are always looking for a better way to understand themselves. Unsuccessful people don't care about introspection and self-awareness. Successful people learn to listen and never stop listening. Unsuccessful people talk too much. Successful people are vulnerable and transparent Unsuccessful people are protected and secretive. Successful people keep a positive attitude. Unsuccessful people get negative all too often. Successful people are committed to gratitude and acts of kindness. And unsuccessful people put themselves first. And, And just as I was reading that, there are a couple of things that struck me. One is just how obviously true those things are. And the other thing is, is just how strange it is that that comes out of a business website, a place that's trying to be successful in what the world would say is successful. Well, they had a different definition. Well, here at Jacob's Well, we have a definition of what it means to successful, to be successful. And what it means to be successful here at Jacob's Well is to know and become like Jesus Christ. That is to say, to have a living relationship with him and to become more like him. And let me just ask you, just to be honest, and ask yourself an honest question about that, is that if that is really what it means to be successful, to have a living relationship with Christ and to become like him, are you growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ? And are you growing to become more like him? Do you think more like he thinks? And when you come up to some kind of idea or confusing thing, is your question is, what would Jesus think about this? Do, do, you, do you feel about things the way he feels about things? That is to say, you look at something and, and, you, and you, you have your feelings. You say, I wonder how Jesus would feel about this. And, and, and when you look at your actions, do you ask yourself, what would Jesus do about this? Because that's growth. And if, and if we as followers of Christ believe that that's what it means to be successful, well, then we need to develop a hopeful, positive growth attitude that we are regularly taking steps 
to know and become like Jesus Christ. Now, here at Jacob's Well, you hear us talk about this fairly regularly. We've got these things called the five commitments, these five beliefs that we have, these five behaviors we have, that we have actually gone to the scriptures, we've gone and done a, a deep and profound study of the scripture, and we ask, okay, what are the things that we must do to become like Christ? I mean, if we don't do these five things, we're not going to fulfill the, the mission of the church. We're not going to know and become like Christ. And on the other end, and, and what are the things that if we don't do them, we can't become like Christ? And we came up with these five things. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about these five commitments because we never want to get that far from these. And a couple of weeks ago, Grant gave a powerful message about what we mean when we, we belong. There's a place where we, we know and we can make known and, and we are connected, a, a place where we can turn. And, and then last week, Joshua talked about this thing of share and had a, a passionate message about this thing of taking the Great Commission serious. And, and this week, I really want us to understand what it means to be a person who is intentional about growth. And, and maybe the biggest word that I really want you to grab hold of this weekend is intentionality. Because here's the deal. Growth doesn't happen by accident. Okay? It just doesn't. Growth is something you got to choose. You got to lean into. You got to look for. You got to look for opportunities. You got to stretch. It, it involves curiosity and it involves discovery. It involves listening to little nudges inside of yourself that they have more. It, it involves overcoming your self doubt and your self condemnation in such a way that you don't listen to those voices that say you can't. You listen to the voice of the Spirit that says, well, maybe I could. And you know what? I can do this. And, and it expresses itself in all kinds of ways, not just spiritually growing, the kinds of things we tend to think about in church, although they're super important, like, like Bible study and prayer. But I'm talking about growth in your ability to do your relationships like Christ, to do your finance like Christ, to run your company like Christ, to ask yourself, what would it look like in whatever situation I am in to know and become like Christ, to, to do it the way that Jesus would have. Now, now, there are three things that really define this growth mentality, this growth perspective, and, and really helps understand what Jesus means when he calls us to grow. The first one is, is that a call to grow is a call to follow. Okay, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we read about this. It says this, it says, by walking, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brothers, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, I would like you to get a group of people together, and I'd like you to study about me, preferably in the Greek language. I'd like to do the details of my life. I'd like you to know the geographical background. I'd like you to become an expert in the facts of my life. Is that what it said? You see, here's the difference. We have had a generation of church that has put the emphasis in learning about Jesus, but we haven't learned Jesus. We haven't learned who he is and how he lived so that we could live like him. We haven't learned him in such a way that our awareness of him and our conversation with us and our connection with him didn't grow as well. Jesus said to them, again in verse 19, follow me. And then from that, share will follow. I will make you a fisher of men. And in your fisher of men is going to look like my di different than mine. There's some place where you're supposed to 
bring the message of Christ, bring the love of Christ, bring the service of Christ in the most profound way. But it begins with this mentality of I'm following a person. I'm not just learning about a person because at the end of the day, learning about a person can be dull after a while. Now, I'm a person who likes to learn about a person. I'm kind of a a history geek. And one of my favorite people in the world to study in, in, in history is Abraham Lincoln. I know a lot about Abraham Lincoln incredible guy. I know when he was born. I, I, I know, you know about his Senate runs. And I know the elections he lost, the elections he won, and, and, and details of, of the years where he was president. But here's the deal. I've learned about Jesus Christ, but I'm not. I, I've learned about Abraham Lincoln, but I'm not trying to follow Abraham Lincoln. I'm not trying to be like Abraham Lincoln. Sure, there's some characteristics he had that I find admirable, but I haven't made it my life's obsession to emulate my life after him. And, and so Jesus' call is for us to follow him. Now look what it says in verse 20. It says immediately. And that word immediately has, has the connotation of, of intentionality. It has this urgency to it. it it's meant to communicate passion. That, that with passion, they left their nets and they followed them, not followed him. Now, now what's going on here is, is a practice during the time of Jesus. There was a rabbinical practice that, that everyone knew that Jesus was a, a teacher or a rabbi. And the idea is that if a rabbi came to you, you would, he would say, follow you. The idea was that you were supposed to leave what you were doing and you were going to be taught by that rabbi to think like that rabbi. He was going to teach you the proper way to think about God and life. And, and you're supposed to care about the things that that rabbi cared about, whether it be issues of justice or, or, or issues of, of, of theology or whatever it is. And, and you're supposed to act like that rabbi. He was going to show you how to apply the teachings of God. And so when Jesus said to these, these fishermen, come follow me, he was saying, you should make your life's obsession to imitate me. And so immediately they followed him. And then in verse 21 and verse 22, talks about two others who again, look what Jesus said. He said, going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brothers, uh, in the boats with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately, again, with passion. They left their boats and their father, and they followed him. And so what's being described here is not a casual, you know, I'm going to show up. If Paul says something interesting about God, I'll say, that was good. I'm going to even write that one down. No, no this, is a, this is a waking up in the morning and saying, Jesus, how do you want me to live this life? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to carry, care about? This kind of just life passion that says, God, if you want me to sign up for Albania, for goodness sakes. Then the answer is yes. Because, because my obsession is to follow you wherever you lead me. And so a call to grow is a call to follow. But not just that, a call to grow is a call to mature. That is to say it's a call to grow up. That is to intentionally recognize that there are stages of life and there is an appropriate time to start leaving childish things behind and start embracing things that have to do with being a mature person. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a young man he's mentoring named, uh, named Timothy. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it. 
and how from childhood you've been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training for righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so what you see there is a call for him to say, listen, you've started on this track, but keep on this track mature on this track, grow on this track. He talks about the word of God. He says, the word of God is breathed out. It's the very breath of God. He says, but but it's not an end unto itself. We don't study the Bible so that we know the most at Bible, uh, most Bible, and we win at Bible trivia, I guess, and we sound really smart at Bible study. We study the scripture because we believe that there's a prophet in it. The prophet in it is that it shows us, you know, um, it teaches us how we're supposed to live. It, it, it reproves us. That is to say, it shows us when we're going on the wrong course. It corrects us when we're missing it. And it trains us. Listen now. It trains us in the right way to go, the righteous way. And so we pursue the scripture, not because we ought to, not because that's what Christians do, but because this is the tool that God has given us to know and become like Christ. Now, Paul has said to Timothy, you need to do this because you started as a very young man, earlier in 1 Timothy, he describes how his mother and his grandmother brought him up in faith. And from his very early years, just like we do every weekend down the hallway in Jacob's 12 families and Jacob's 12 kids, that, 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 that he was brought up to know and become like Christ and grow in Christ. And he said that, that there's a stage where it get, get, you become more and more mature. I, I want to spend just a minute talking a little bit about these stages that we go through as we develop, as we become more like Christ, um, and ask you if maybe you're not stuck at one of these stages. Now, now some of us are at stage one. Stage one is, I'm a Christian because that was the way I was raised. I mean, I was raised uh, in a Christian home, in a Catholic home, and, and, and I did a lot of Christian-y things, and I did it because, well, that's my family, and that's what my family does really well. And, and when you're a kid, that's great. You know, when you're, you're, you're preteen, that's great. I, I, I always kind of a uh, little nervous about these the parents because I did the same thing, you know. Uh, my kids, I'm raising them, and, and I'm teaching them about Jesus. And when they're preteen kids, they just seem to get it so clearly. And they seem to memorize things, and, and they seem to just really be in love with Jesus. And my kids, when they were little, they'd come and they'd say to me things like, I want to be a missionary. Oh. <gasps> And I love Jesus more than anything. Oh, I'm thinking, I got this. I'm rock star good. But the thing I don't understand is that the natural thing of their development at that stage is for them to want to make me really happy. It's for them to figure out the things that I want them to say and to say it because at that stage in the world, I'm the biggest thing in their world. And so they see I'm excited about Jesus. They want to be excited about Jesus. And, and so just if you've got kids at that stage and they're saying those things, it might change. So, so, so there's just it might be some transition. Now the second stage, and some people spend their whole life at this, is they say, I'm a Christian because this is what I do. I just always have done it. I'm in a pattern. It's working pretty good. I go to church. I go to small group. Sing the songs, you know, I just do it. And I was raised with it, and, and it's just something, you know, that I do. And, and some people can go their whole life th- through that. But, but for, for most people, and this is particularly true of our kids, and maybe for some of you as you grew up, is you reach a point where, you know what, that's not good enough. 
that, that all of a sudden, where I realize I'm doing these things, I realize I don't know why I'm doing these things. I don't know what the meaning of these things are. And you know what? I'm looking out there in the world, and there are a lot of other people doing a lot of other stuff. And some of this stuff looks fun, and it looks cool. And, and truth be told, I know I'm not supposed to say this in church, but I got some questions about some of this stuff. I mean, I got questions about all those people they killed in the Old Testament. I got questions about Noah and the ark. And I got a question about the guy who got swallowed by the whale. And, and I got questions about why, where do we get this book anyway? And why is this book so? And, and that can lead many of us to a panicked search for truth. A panicked search for truth. That is to say, okay, listen, as a kid, I know this thing impacted me. And it was very real in my life. And it was powerful in my life. And I know it was real. And the faith I had as a child, that was just Oh, so perfect for a child. But now that I'm getting into life and life is getting more real, and and what about all this suffering and this pain? What about the guy in Africa who never heard about Jesus and all these other questions? I know I shouldn't bring these questions up because it's making you doubt, but here's the deal. You doubt anyway, whether I bring it around, and your kids doubt anyway. And listen, when, when we get to this point in these stages of our growth where these questions come up, that is completely natural and normal and healthy. And if you really want to grow, and you really want your kids, by the way, to grow, to not become like Christ, you got to let them do some of that. And you got to not freak out. Uh, in the announcements a little earlier, uh, we mentioned that we've got this group called Alpha. You know what Alpha is all about? It's about asking those questions. You see, because here's the deal. Every one of those questions I just asked, we got really good answers for as Christians. We got great answers for, I, I know I went, I went to school, I've studied, I've based my life on it, I've asked those questions. Now for a long time, I was in the kind of church where you didn't ask those questions. Because you asked that question, and that was doubt, and we don't do doubt. You know, if you don't have doubt, faith is not necessary. If you don't ask questions, well, well, then you're not a growing person. Because a big part of what it means to grow is to ask those questions. And so if you're here, you're saying, oh my gosh, he's totally describing who I am. And I've just been doing this stuff, and I don't know why. And I'm filled with these doubts. You need to go to Alpha. You just need to go to Alpha this summer. You say, I got crazy summer. You just need to go to Alpha. We're going to offer it again in the fall. But you need to go now. The Spirit of God probably may be prompting you to do that. Because here's the deal. Unmanaged doubt can do one of two things. One, it obviously can get us to say, I quit this Christianity, I'm going to walk away. But unmanaged doubt, more often than not, will make us, listen now, a practical atheist who actually goes to church. Someone who quit believing a long time ago because they never had the courage to look at the things they doubted. And when they do look at those things they doubted, you're going to find that there's beautiful answers. Now, a lot of people, when they get to their panic stage of truth, they go all over the place. Some people become very strict, They become very, very, you know, legalistic, you know, uh, they become very loud and certain. When I went through my panic stage for church, uh, through, through, uh, for my panic stage for uh, for truth, um, believe it or not, I started young, but I was, I was a pastor. That's a little awkward. I got loud. I got certain. I preached and told and, and the things that I was doubting, I, whenever I got to one of those things, I would just talk louder and more certain and more certain. And, 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 and many times that's how it expresses itself. You know, the thing that ultimately brought me to the point that, that, that brought me to the point that I had to, I had to start addressing some of these deep doubts about the nature of God and who is Jesus and, and why I trust the scriptures and so many of these other things like that. It was pain. 
It was this living with this internal, what they call dissonance, this conflict inside of myself that just had to be recognized. And again, I was in a very unhealthy church environment where, where you just weren't allowed to ask those questions, and I just finally had to ask those questions. I've shared with you this before, but I went through a season where I just said, you know what, God, I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know what I believe anymore, but if you're there, I'm going to just do this thing. I need you to hold on to me because I, because I, just, I just can't do it. And, and I came back and I asked myself, okay, Setting aside all my doubts, what are the things that I believe? And I came back to this. I believe two things that I just believed. Their evidence was overwhelming and my heart just believed. I believe that there was a God and I believe that he was good. I believe there was a God and the evidence for that is overwhelming. It's in creation. It's in philosophy. It's just everywhere. And then he's good and the evidence for that is overwhelming. And for a while, that's what I had. And, and because I went to this good God, I started piecing back together my faith. And I started to find that the faith that I pieced back together was very much the true Orthodox Christian faith that people have been, listen now, living and defending and questioning and testing for thousands of years. And so growth becomes not this thing where I just went from victory to victory. It went managing doubt and understanding. And there were some things that changed. There were some beliefs that transformed. But in the essence, what I came back to was basically the Apostles' Creed. And, and now those, those shoes are so entrenched in my soul. They're just so self-evidently true that God has, has spoken to me through experience and through reason and the testament of others. It's just an absolutely beautiful thing. C.S. Lewis describes it as this. He says, it's a man who went on a long journey. He went on a long journey and he left London Harbor and he went out into the sea and he went on what he thought was a long journey only to come back around and discover whales. That is to say, you go on this long search only to come completely home. And so this thing of growth can lead us in this panic stage search for truth. But it doesn't stop there, that once you begin to start seeing these things, it works to a different level of depth, where you no longer are just saying, these are the things that I do. You start coming back to saying, you know what, these are the things I actually believe. I actually believe these things. I, I believe that, that God so loved the world, he sent his only son. I believe that Jesus was the divine revelation of God. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you start seeing these things, it starts changing everything. And all of a sudden, a faith that was driven by uncertainty and doubt is all of a sudden comes with joy and a confidence and a hope. And then there's this incredible, this question we have to ask that if I believe this stuff, how then should I live? Because if I believe it and it's the truth and I want my life aligned with truth, I have to start making some changes. I've got to start pursuing it. And so I want to learn what it means to follow Christ. And then the fourth stage becomes, then this is how I live. This is how I live. I live... And I understand why I live this thing, because I believe these things, and they're foundational. It's what makes groups like Alpha just so important. They're foundational. Because I believe them, it has changed the way I live. Because I, for instance, believe that God is a God of forgiveness, how do you know that? Well, because of the cross over there. He proved it. He has this passionate thing about forgiveness. He's really hung up on this thing of forgiveness. He taught me to pray, Father, forgive me as I forgive other people. And because I believe that, I then have to become a person of forgiveness. When I was younger, I was not a forgiving person. When you crossed me, I was going to hold it against you. I was going to reject you. I usually would push you out of my life or I'd get back at you. But but when I started recognizing that God forgave me, and now he forgave me, and he wants me to forgive others, and because I believe that, now I'm just at the point that no matter what anybody ever does to me, I'm going to forgive them. 
not forgiving them is off the table. Now, I might not let them hurt me again. I might not be vulnerable to them. There's wisdom and all that. But at the end of the day, as a follower of Christ, my belief, because of what I believe about forgiveness, I got to forgive. I got to forgive. That's what I do. Because that then leads me then to the last stage. That is to say, because this is who I am. This is who I am. Because I believed it so much and it now integrates into my life, I don't even have to think about it. I mean, there are certain things. I was talking with this about a group of guys the other day. We've been friends. We've been following Christ for a long time. And I, and I just talked about the things you never even struggle with anymore. Stealing or, or telling petty lies or, or little things like that. We just don't do that because it's just not who we are. You know, that's the beautiful thing about heaven. You're not going to have to work at being and doing the right thing in heaven. Because in heaven, you are going to be transformed to be a good person from whom good things naturally flow. And when, when what you believe becomes how you live, it just becomes who you are, well then, you know, in heaven we're not going to be worried about telling lies or stealing or immorality because it transforms us in the most profound way. This is what makes growth so beautiful. It makes it such an adventure. This is why I never want to stop growing. This is why I want to read more and study more and discover more. This is why I want to pursue Christ more. This is why I want to learn how to pray better. This is how I want to become a more dedicated Christian because that's who I want to be more and more and more is like the person of Jesus Christ. And so, so a call to grow is a call to become mature. Third thing, last thing, is that a call to grow is a call to walk by the Spirit. Now, this is the most beautiful thing about this thing of growth. And I bring this up. I brought it up a couple weeks ago and continually just sneak it in sermons here because we're going to hit this hard this next year. Is what a gift we have in the person of the Spirit who is more concerned about your growth than you are about yours. Look what it says about the Holy Spirit. Verse I've shared with you a couple times now. These things Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was with you every day? We got actually something better than Jesus with us every day. You heard me right. We got something better than Jesus with us every day. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance the things I have said. And Jesus goes on to say in a couple of verses, he says, it's better I go because the Spirit's going to come, the helper's going to come, and he's going to help you grow, and he's going to make sense of things. He's going to hold on to you when, when doubts get so strong. He, he's going to transform the way you look at some of the worst things in life. Because here's the deal. If you've got the Holy Spirit and a mentality that I want to grow, it transforms how you look at things like pain. Because pain is one of the Spirit's greatest teachers. It, it transforms how you look at, at things like struggle. I'm struggling with something. I feel like I want to get this. I can't get this. can't get this. The spirit will transform because there is lessons that are learned about getting something out of your life with great difficulty over time. There's things you can only learn through that crucible. There's a, a change with the growth mentality and the leadership of the Holy Spirit about failure. Some of the greatest lessons about life will come in failure. You say, what do you learn from failure? Well, you learn compassion. You learn humility. You learn to give others who fail the grace you wouldn't give them if all you did was succeed. You see? And, and you learn to admit when you're wrong. You, you become teachable. You become openable, open to these things of, 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 of growth that come from failure. And so the Spirit of God walks with you, makes sense with you, and growth becomes this wonderful adventure. You know, I never want to be the person I was last year. 
Certainly don't want to be the person I was 10 years ago. Heaven help us all. I don't want to be the person I was when I was 18. You do not want that person pastoring this church. Okay? You just don't. (laughs) You're certain and loud and afraid and unteachable and arrogant and so many other things. And I'm so not that person anymore. Not what I will be, but I'm not what I was. And I'm so joyfully wanting to go after what I will be. And I'm no longer going to beat myself about what I was because that was all part of God's work and the Spirit of God doing the things in me to bring me here so that I can go there. That's the beautiful thing about God. And so we have this commitment called grow. It, it, you know, I, I say this every time I speak about this. might be my favorite, but they're all my favorite. It's my kids. All my kids are my favorite. I truly believe that. There's something wonderful about all of them, but, but, but this thing of grow captures me. And, and how we define grow, it's, it's learning from the Spirit to become a self-feeder. That is to say, to be a person who's constantly learning, growing, discovering. You become a self-feeder as I grow to know and become like Christ. Jesus, I want to know you better. I want to love you more. I, I want to be more like Christ. You know, I saw this so much in the folks from Builders for Christ. I was talking to one of our people about them, and, and uh, they, were, they were asking about this one particular church with the people there. And this was, we, just had, we had a really special group this last week, gang, really special group. He was asking about them, and, 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 and he said, why do you think they're like that? You think they're trying to earn something or get something or they're just really good Christians? And at the end of the day, I just felt like the Spirit of God just spoke to me. I said it without even thinking. I said, I think they just love Jesus. I think they just love Jesus. And because they have really grown to really, really, really love Jesus, they love us. They don't even know us, but they love us. And, and you know what? That crane operator who was here all week, who they were just so kind to, and they shared Christ with, they love him. And you know what? They love our church. They love the things that Jesus loves. And so a growing person is a person who's growing and knowing him and loving him and becoming like him. And I just get chills when I think about becoming more like that. You see, if you're left to yourself, if you become the the best you can do inside of yourself, it ain't that much. Just, I'm sorry, it ain't that much. But if you become, listen now, everything that you could be in Christ, if Christ were fully formed in you, as the Apostle Paul said, if Christ were alive with you, if, if, if you were to die and the Christ were to come alive, you would be a person of nobility and justice and strength and character and integrity. You would love the right things. You would hate the right things. You would pursue the right things and, and you would leave behind the right things. And so to grow is the pursuit of Christ, to know him and to become like him. And so I want to end my time today as we prepare for communion by asking you two questions that we ask all the time here at Jacob's Well, just where are you on your spiritual journey? Where are you on your spiritual journey? Say, you know what, Paul, I'm at that point where I'm just going through the motions. I do this because this was the way I was raised, and I got that that doubt thing, and I'm actually maybe thinking about walking away, or I'm just going through the motions right now, dead inside. You might want to check out that Alpha class because you probably have some unmanaged doubts in the back of your mind that are keeping you from fully giving yourself to Christ. And for you to realize why we trust this book and why the critics of this book, I mean, the miracle of this book and why we have it and how we have it is glorious. You, 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 you may say, you know, I don't know, is Jesus real? Most historically, one of the most historically uh, documented uh, people in the Old Testament, in, in, the old, in, in the ancient times, is Jesus Christ and the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. And I tell you what, if someone dies and rises from the dead, pay attention to him. Every time. 
okay? Particularly if they predict it, and he did. And when you start recognizing the firm ground, well, then you can move to that next stage, saying, you know what, this is what I believe. And you know what? Because I believe it, this is what I do. This is how I live. And you know what? Because I'm living in this way, this is who I am. And that is a, a person who is fully formed in Christ. So maybe you're at any one of those stages. And maybe you're at a stage where, where you're at a your point in your spiritual journey where you have just given up on growth. Maybe you said, I've done a lot of the stuff. I, I, I said a lot. Maybe you've been the person who's been in Bible studies forever. But maybe your next step is start leading some other people. You want to talk about what will make you grow? Start discipling, mentoring, leading a small group. Your growth goes through the roof. You say, I want to learn how to pray. Teach someone else to pray. Okay, you know, so, so, so maybe that's your step. Because here's the deal. The second question we always ask is what's your next step? Because it's not about turning into super Christian overnight. You know, growth is a journey of, 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 of one, one theologian calls it a long obedience in the same direction. I love that. A long obedience in the same direction. It's not about a big, teary decision. It's not about some gigantic step. There's some big steps in life, but it's about a bunch of little steps in the right direction, knowing and pursuing Christ. Maybe for you, it's about, you know, getting on Right Now Media and finding that daily Bible study. Maybe it's about you picking up that devotion and reintegrating true spiritual formation into your life. Maybe it's from what happened last week when you heard Joshua talking about chair. There's a person you need to find that one life, that person you're going to start praying for, person you're going to start inviting, that person you're going to tell your story to so that they then can hear the story of Christ. You see, uh, there's a step for all of us to take in the pursuit of knowing and becoming like Christ. That really is what it's all about. That, that really, in so many ways, is what communion is all about. It's about a remembering of this person of Christ who we follow. It's about remembering what he did for us and what he taught us through what he did. He provided salvation, but he taught us service and he taught us love and he taught us forgiveness and he taught us justice and he taught us mercy. And, and all of that is found in the lesson of communion and in the message of the cross. Now, what do we mean when we talk about communion? When we talk about communion is this, that on the night before Jesus died, he gathered together those ones who said, yes, I will follow you. I want to make my life about knowing and becoming like you. And he gathered them together and he says, I want, I've eagerly desired to give this gift to you, this gift to bring you back to to relationship with me, to, to remembering what I'm all about, to aligning your life to the things you believe about me. He said, I, I, I want to give you this. And he took some simple bread and he said, this bread, when you take it, it's supposed to remind you. It's supposed to make you remember that my body will be mangled and broken. It will be punished, and the wrath of God will be poured on on it so that you can experience forgiveness. And so that in this life, anything that you would say, I can't forgive that, is nothing compared to what God has forgiven in Christ. And so forgiveness, I'll teach you that. And, and so his body was meant, his, this bread was meant to remind us of his body. And he says, then this cup, this cup is meant to be a remembrance that, that your life doesn't belong to you because I came and I had my life poured out. Just like my blood was poured out, then, then, then when blood is poured out, life is poured out. He said, this cup is meant to remind you that I gave up my life. And the most amazing thing you can do is not live your life for yourself, but you live your life for me and for the things that I say that are important. And it just realigns our entire life on who Jesus is and what he's all about. It's an opportunity for us to grow, to, to be restarted, to once again, let me come back to that word I started with, once again come back to the intentional pursuit of Christ. Instead of the lackadaisical, just kind of, 
Paul says something cool, might write it down. The intentional, passionate pursuit of Christ. See, that's what it's about. And so this weekend, as we take communion, I want it to be an invitation for you to, to rediscover a passion for growth, to rediscover a passion to pursue, to rediscover the call for Christ who would come by your boat or your cubicle or your classroom or your office or your home or your kitchen or your laundry room, and he would say, follow me, and I will teach you how to live a life of significance, a life that matters in the most powerful way. And so what we do here at Jacob's Well is we don't have a lot of rules here about communion. We believe that what we do here is a symbolic remembrance. The powerful thing that happened happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And what happened was all of our sins, all of our shame, and all of our brokenness that had earned for us the wrath of God, the anger of God was directed towards us. All of that was put on Christ. And if Christ had not taken that, we would have owned that anger and that wrath for eternity in a place called hell. A place called hell. And instead, Christ took that on the cross. He was nailed to the cross. And when he was nailed to the cross, took our shame, our doubt, he took the worst thing you've ever done, that thing you won't forgive yourself for. You know, he's taken the biggest shame. It was all nailed to the cross, and he took that punishment. And then when he was took down the cross, he and all that sin, all that shame, all that filth was put in the ground, and he rose up, and he left that all behind. And now he says, when you put your faith and trust in me, when you follow me, when you make your pursuit to know and become like me, you become my child, all that stays behind. You are a new creation in Christ. He says, now follow me. And so the bread symbolizes his body, the blood, the cup symbolizes his, his blood, and we come in a pursuit of Christ, in a pursuit to grow in him as followers of Christ. I'm going to go ahead and invite the ushers to come forward and prepare communion as they do. I do want to let you know, as always, we have a gluten-free option over here, because we had over here on this side, just because we want everyone to feel just um, fully uh, welcome to have communion. We prepare that very carefully, separate from everything else, so it's a very safe thing for those of you who have those allergies, and, and we really want you to participate. And for all of us, we want this to be just a remembrance of just that which Christ did, so that once again we could see what he did, what he believed, how he felt about things, how he acted. And because we believe that, it would change how we think and how we feel and how we act as we continue to pursue Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, Father God, your son, your son, perfect. Just thank you. Teach us intentionality, passion, pursuit. Teach us, Father, that anything we would set our heart on is small compared to the bigger things that you would have for us. Father, instead of giving us a spirit of fear that would, that would keep us from going, give us a spirit of faith that would cause us, Father, just want to expand into every aspect of our life that we might know you and become like you, that we might become more complete people. Give us a vision for what our lives would be if Christ were fully formed in us, the people we would be, the people, Father, that you desire to make us. Teach us to be people who grow, who grow to know and become like your son, Jesus Christ. As we take this communion, we remember him, we honor him, we worship him, and we just take a step towards pursuing him. And we do all this in Jesus' name.